Well, I feel privileged and happy to be back gathered again with our Christ Journey family. And if this is your first time with us, we welcome you as a special guest. If this is your second time with us because your first time was Easter, I'm so thrilled that you're back with us today. And to everyone who is connecting with us across the nation, around the world, we are asking God's blessing of peace to find you. Wherever you feel your life might be in pieces, he is the Prince of Peace. And we pray peace for our world as well. And may God's peace find you today. Now, I want to start um, with some power reminders from the Word of God, like this one. Nothing is too hard for God. Or this one. With God, all things are possible. Or this one. Things that are impossible for men are possible with God. Or this one, Jesus said. If you have the faith size of a mustard seed, tiny faith, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will be cast into the sea. And so I'm wondering, how many times have we begun message time together here by repeating together the bold truth of Scripture that nothing is too hard for God? And I believe that. Most days, <laughs> you know, I mean, some days it's just easier to believe it than other days, you know, and I'm thinking so most days. Yeah, I get that uh, because and I understand this, you know, the Bible says that God gives people certain people the gift of faith. Maybe you've got it. Maybe you know somebody that does. You know, it seems like it just comes easier for them to believe than for other people. Like there's a story in Alice in Wonderland where the good white queen tells Alice, oh, sometimes I have believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Uh, I'm, uh, I relate more with like doubting Thomas, you know, the disciple Thomas who was doubting Thomas of the disciples. This is what he said, I won't believe I'm just, I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes or touch it with my own hands. I was born in Missouri. Missouri is the show me state. In fact, I think that's where Doubting Thomas was born, actually, because a lot of us come out of that state saying, hey, I'm not going to believe that. You, can, you want me to believe something? Then don't just talk it up. Don't just chat about it. Don't just tell me about it. Show me. I want to see. I want to feel. You want me to believe something? show me. And even then, even then, if somebody shows me, you know, what I, I carry around a healthy little uh, dose of skepticism in my pocket. You've heard of healthy skepticism, right? It's not a bad thing in a world like this sometimes where uh, so many people are working the angles and scheming to take advantage of you. Healthy skepticism can be a good line of defense. But I've also learned this, it can create an unnecessary obstacle as well. What began as a good initial line of defense can actually become a minefield to trust. A minefield for trust. And without trust, there is no growth. See if, I'm, see if you agree with me on this. Without trust, there is no growth. It takes trust to do business. It takes trust to stay in business. It takes trust to do relationships. It takes trust to stay in relationships. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
It takes trust to build a marriage. It takes trust to grow a family. It takes trust to raise kids. Just tell me if I get this wrong. It takes trust to develop intellectually, to learn. I mean, to take, to take in information and then to put it into application. At testing its validity, proving its value in life, it takes trust, doesn't it? And we all do this all the time. You're doing it right now. You do it to some degree every day. You know what you do? You decide what information you can trust, and then you're choosing, you're deciding what people will you trust. Now, some people even have trust funds. <laughs> you know, they put their funds in trust. They put their trust in funds. In fact, you can't spend a dollar in this country that doesn't say, in God we... Now, that may be that that's just for show these days, but it's on there. And then we think this, trust requires deciding. It, deci it, it, it requires choosing. You make a choice. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? And then your life flows from there. Tell me if I'm wrong. By the way, do you know how many psychiatrists it takes to change a light bulb? Just one. But the light bulb has to really want to change. In this series, we're exploring life change and how mindset and mental health work together with grace, truth, and the Spirit of God to help people find wholeness and spiritual and emotional health. And it happens, this path to recovery, no matter what your hurt, your habit, your heartache, or your uh, hang-up might be, and it takes trust, doesn't it? Maybe it wouldn't surprise you, some of you, I know for sure, that the Bible would offer help for us along that journey, that Jesus Christ himself began his official ministry with these words of Scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, healing to the brokenhearted, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, maybe it's not a surprise to you either that the steps along that path to recovery and healing have also been welcomed into our world in something that's called the 12-step process. You've heard of this, 12-step programs? It was first made popular by Alcoholics Anonymous, and now it's in almost 200 recovery paths. This pathway is used. Last week, we saw that the first step in every, it's the first step in every one of those paths. And it, it goes like this, I admit I need help. That's the first step in the recovery path. That Superman isn't less super by admitting that he is vulnerable to kryptonite. He's actually better able to face and stay strong by admitting where he's got an Achilles heel. And so are you, and so am I. And it's ironic, this is why we don't really get it right away, it's ironic that, um, that we are empowered for life as we admit where we need help, that we need help. And yet, the first step 
in every one of these recovery programs, and we're going to learn from Scripture today, is that it comes with challenging your own blinding pride. I admit I need help. That means I'm challenging my own pride. And then by admitting that, you are stepping out of denial and into the light that starts your journey to freedom. I admit I need help. Five simple words. First step, I admit I need help. Second step, okay. In the 12-step programs, it goes like this. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, in the, in the journey we're on around here, we could say it like this. I believe God can help. I believe God can help. In God's book, by definition, we've already seen that nothing is impossible for God. That uh, not only is God, by definition, all-powerful, but the, the Gospel of John he shows us that God, well, all the Scripture, but the Gospel of John in particular shows us he has a track record of success in helping people like us. So what I'd like to do, though I've shared some of these before, I want to just do a quick look through the Gospel of John, especially as John invites us into this spiritual safari where he is tracking the prints, the footprints of the Lion of Judah, showing him to be king of the jungle, whatever we might face out there. Signs, he calls these signs. Signs of what? Signs of God's power unleashed in the areas where we face need and showing us how Jesus gets us at every level. Quickly, John chapter 2, water turned into wine, saving a wedding a wedding day from a social disaster, and showing us how Jesus gets us in our disappointment. Maybe that's where he meets you today, at the point of your disappointment. John chapter 4, a leader's son is deathly ill, and the man literally begs Jesus, would you come to, our house, come to my house and do a miracle for my child? And Jesus instead says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you never believe. It's like the guy was from Missouri, you know? It's like he's a Thomas, and, and, uh, and he wants to see it with his own eyes, have it in his own house, and get Jesus right there person. And Jesus instead says, no, I'm not going. You know what he does? He tells the man. He gives the man his word. He gives him a word that your son will live and shows us how Jesus gets us even in our doubts with a word. Third sign, John 5 a uh, pool of water. Many disabled people lie there, and a lame man has been there for over 38 years. Three and a half decades of his life, unable to use his legs, and yet by the end of his conversation with Jesus, not only is he standing upright and walking tall, he's also carrying the mat that used to hold him. What's the message? Jesus gets us even in our disability. He can give us help, right, in our places where we feel like we don't have a leg to stand on. Fourth sign, John chapter 6. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are gathered to hear Jesus, and they're really hungry, and a little boy's lunch, five loaves of fish, or five loaves and two fish, and Jesus feeds them all. What's the message? Jesus is the bread of life who gets us in our desires. He knows our needs, and he knows how to help feed them. Next story, John chapter 6, also sign 5, middle of the night, 
A storm is raging, the waves are high, the men are on the boat, and they are desperate because they're trying to get across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of this storm. And then they look up and they see what looks like a ghost coming to them on the water, they say, and it's actually Jesus. Jesus is walking on water. And I know some of us are thinking, I doubt that. I, <laughs> I get that. I mean, you're reading a story. And yet they say, eyewitnesses. Can you imagine? It's in there to show us how Jesus gets us in our despair. Maybe that's for you today. Whatever's over our head is still under his feet, and he can take you through the dark, stormy night with your eyes on him. Sign seven, or sign six, sign six, John chapter nine. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And then he introduces himself as the light of the world to light up his world. And what does he show us? Jesus gets us in our darkness. Where you're foggy, where you're cloudy, where it doesn't seem like you can understand what's going on, Jesus gets us and meets us right there. John chapter 11, sign, sign number 7. 7-11, that's interesting. Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb four days. But Jesus, as the resurrection of the life, shows up, speaks, calls him by name out of the tomb and gives him life, showing us what? Jesus gets us even in our death. In other words, John's trying to show us through the jungle that the Lion of Judah is up to every point of need in our lives. There is no scenario where Jesus doesn't get us and Jesus isn't there for us, giving us evidence to believe that God can help us. Now, somebody's wondering, why can I believe that? Why, why should I believe that? And here's the bottom line, as I think we would say it for this step, Jesus believes you matter, no matter what. So, you can believe that God can help. He becomes that safe place. Now, you know, the issue becomes trust, back again. You know, sometimes we don't believe because we don't believe we need help. You know what that's called? Denial. Because we all need help in something. We all need help in some way. We all need help in some different way. But we tend, as Rick Warren says, to rationalize these things. That means we tell ourselves rational lies. <laughs> and they say, oh, other people need that, but not me. And then we explain it to ourselves because we're doing it in our own voice. We think, well, I sure I can trust me. So we don't Sometimes we believe we don't need help. That's called denial. Sometimes we believe that um, we got ourselves into this mess, so it's up to us to get ourselves out of this mess. That sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds rational. Is it true? That's called pride and arrogance. I've said that. Maybe you have. Are you familiar with Einstein's quote, Einstein 20th century, great mind, Time Magazine, like mind of the century, something like that. Here's what he said. The problems that exist in the world today cannot be solved by the level of thinking that created them. Is that true? Okay, let me ask you this. Is that true on an individual level? <laughs> if I got myself into this mess, do I have the capacity thinking my way out of this mess? That's what Einstein is saying. I don't think so. 
So some people believe that, though, and that's why they're still stuck where they are. Some people believe that um, we have to be good enough for God to want to help us. Like if you can be strong enough or you can be good enough or you can uh, do enough right things, then you may be able to tip the scale in your favor and now God will want to do something for you. Now, that may be the way people say karma works. But that's not the Bible path to recovery and mental health. The Bible's path tells us God gets us. He understands us. He understands we're dust. He knows that we got problems. He knows that we have troubles. (laughs) And he shows himself helpful to people like us. That's why the scripture says he is a very present help in troubles. Now, one of the shocks and surprises as you're reading the Bible it still shocks me today when I, when I read it, is how messed up the stars of the story actually are. Hebrews chapter 11 is like a summary on this. That's the hall of fame for Bible heroes, Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll see people's names there like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. I mean, these are all big name heroes in the story of faith. It's like if we were in the Marvel universe, then this is Iron Man, Wonder Woman, Captain America, and Spider-Man. You know? And, oh, speaking of Spider-Man, there he is. That's my son, my grandson, Cedar. And I got that this week, so I thought I'd just share it, and this seemed like a good place to put it. So um, I guess we ought to move on, though. Uh, All of these, you know, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, these big names, they're like the superheroes of the faith. And Noah, but every one of them, when you look at their story, get into the backstory, every one of them has problems. They got hang-ups, they got hurts, they got heartaches in their life. Noah, who built the ark, had a drinking problem. Did you know that? It caused trouble for him. Abraham, father of the faithful, repeatedly lies in his story more than once. Why? Well, he's afraid of what's going to happen if he tells the truth. We know how that feels, don't we? And then his son Isaac knows how that feels. You know why? Because he does exactly what his daddy did. His daddy did it, now he's doing it too. He's a grown man, but he's got afraid and he hides behind a lie. Sarah, Abraham's wife, you know she has trouble having a baby, but she has more trouble waiting for God to answer prayer, so she manipulates to get what she wants, only to have it blow up on her later. And then there's Jacob. Oh my goodness, Jacob, whom God transforms into Israel. This entire nation of promise comes. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, and then the entire nation comes from that. But if you look at the story of Jacob, oh my goodness, he's a deceiver, he's a swindler, he likes working the angles, he tricked his brother out of his birthright, and he deceives his father so he can steal the blessing. It's like they're not the most outstanding moral examples of righteousness. I mean, it's all right there. They're all dealing not only with those decisions, but they're also dealing with emotional, relational issues in their lives and their families. They got loneliness, they're sad, sadness, anxiety, depression, fear, all the same kind of stuff that we've been struggling with through this COVID craziness. 
that it's, it's part of the fiber that they're experiencing. But look at this. Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Faith, and yet verse 34, direct quote right out of there. In each story, weakness was turned to strength. Would you say that with me? Let's say that together. No, let's say that together. Weakness was turned to strength. This is interesting. It doesn't say replaced by strength. That matters. It doesn't say turned into strength. It says turned. Weakness was in place, and weakness was turned. Where? To strength. And then that strength granted ability in the weakness that made them strong and able in their weakness. What? You know, we hate weakness. We like strength. We hate being weak. We want to be strong. We want to look strong. We want to spin strong. We want to fight strong. We want to live strong, right? Every person that we've read about in the Bible today was a living oxymoron, an oxymoron reality. And if you look at them, here's what you're going to see. Frailty, calamity, suffering, infirmity, lack. You see in a word, weakness. And yet God meets them in their weakness and then turns weakness to experience strength. You know, weakness is actually their superpower. Something not so much to be avoided, but rather to be admitted. And then in the admitting, it's like, okay, I'm going to face it. I'm not going to be in denial about it. I'm not going to turn around. I'm not going to run. I'm going to face my weakness. And then it says, embrace it. What? What? Embrace my weakness? Yeah, this is your superpower. And then God will grace you in that embrace. And God will use your weakness to get his will done. Are you kidding me? This is the story of the Bible. This is what Jesus did. Jesus, as God in the flesh, meets people in their need. And if you notice in those stories, he doesn't just make the need go away. He uses the need as a bridge to them experiencing him in a next new level of life. Huh. So when Jesus arrives at Lazarus' tomb that day in the graveyard, he's been in the grave four days, and yet, and then he calls out, would this be something to see? Lazarus, come forth. And it happens, and you're there. But you know what? If you'd been there, you would have seen that before Jesus ever did the power miracle, you know what he did? Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, probably one of the most powerful why is it in there? Why did he do that? Well, I'm thinking it means Jesus gets us. That's part of it, isn't it? Jesus gets us. He feels with us. He understands us in our weakness, in our limitations. And what we want to hide, he just shows right up and says, I'm here for you. And you know, when you feel understood and safe, it provides support and solace to the human soul in a way nothing else can. 
our Jesus gets us. He feels with us in a way that helps us feel safe with our hurts. Actually, the Bible word you're probably more familiar with is saved. But you know what that means? Your needs, your sins are safe with me. I've got you. I get you. And uh, then something starts happening, you know. Uh, you start believing somehow that you're not going to stay stuck in your pain. <laughs> I'm not going to stay stuck in this place. And as we draw near to him together, we experience the road to freedom. Like our Christ journeyer, Eddie, is about to share with us in this story. Well, sitting here today with you is nothing short of a miracle because I really shouldn't, I shouldn't be on this earth anymore. I've, I've, uh, I've tried to do life my way. I really tried the best I could and it led me down a, a terrible path. And the more I pursued the things of life that from a young age I was taught that you go to school and you study hard and you go get a nice job and you marry a beautiful woman and you have kids and you get a nice house and you drive the nice car and you have all the things that the world has to offer that you're gonna have a happy life. And my story didn't end happy with all those worldly things. It ended in complete misery and it ended in a point where I was waking up in my mid-30s um, six years ago that every day I was waking up hoping that, that I wouldn't wake up again. And I didn't have the courage to, you know, with two small children to, to end my own life, but I did welcome it and kept drinking heavily enough that I knew it was going to be it was going to be coming right down the road and the one thing that did keep me holding on were I had a three-year-old and two-year-old daughter and I had so many plates spinning again all the the show of the world showing that how great I was doing and when my ex-wife now came and said I want the divorce I couldn't sh keep the image up anymore and they all came crashing down to the ground and in that moment for whatever reason to a God that I spent most of my life cursing to a God I blamed for all my troubles I fell to my knees and I asked that God whatever it was I couldn't even call it God it was something I called it something and I asked for help he answered me he answered me and for the first time in my life I felt I felt God and I felt that everything was gonna be okay for the first time and I didn't make him those empty foxhole prayers that I always did of oh if you get me out of this I promise I'll, I'll do better I had a sincere covenant with him and for the first time in 20 years I didn't drink that night 
I went a night without drinking. I don't know the inner workings of it, but when God speaks to you, you know. And you can't deny God when he talks to you. I mean, go through the Bible, whoever it is, Moses, or when God speaks to you, you might not want to answer the call, but it's hard not to. If Of all the things I did, I was a violent, angry, self-centered person. And despite everything I'd done, I was good enough for him to save. He came after me and left his 99, and he came for me the one. He came after me to save me. When I didn't deserve his mercy or love or care, he came for me. And all I had to do was ask him. And it was like he was standing right at the door the whole time. And as soon as I opened it, he came rushing in and just grabbed me. I don't know why it works that way. I don't know the inner workings of why I needed to ask. All I know is when I did, he, he, he answered me. For anybody that has doubt, and if I would have talked to myself six years ago, I don't know if I would have laughed at me, laughed at me or mocked me or do all the things I would have done. Just keep following the path. Why not? Why not listen to him? Is it so great what you're doing now? Are you, are you, are you really happy? Are you joyous? Do you feel free? Or is something holding you back? I never wanted to be a Christian, certainly. I used to think Christian were delusional. I thought Christians were insane. How could you believe these things? And to be honest, I don't know how I believe them now, but I know they're true. I know they're true. I didn't know it was available to me. I didn't know that not worrying all the time was an option. I didn't know that feeling happy all the time was something I could have. If I would, I wish I would have accepted Jesus when I was two years old. And life would have been a lot easier. But I had to do it my way. And I kept doing it my way until I, I couldn't do it anymore. So why wait? Why not just start trying now? Weakness turned. Is this a turning point for you? Weakness turned to strength. How? Trust. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, but the one that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards faith. Those who seek him by faith. You know what that is? That's step two. Oh, it was already in the Bible. Ha! That you start believing that a greater power, that God can help you, and that he cares enough to do it because you matter to God no matter what. And Jesus gets you and has come to help you. What do you start believing? We're all in a story of believing right now. What are you believing? 
Who are you believing? Why you believe in that? The Bible says that we were made for relationship and built to believe, and that belief is the key to handling our hurts and our hang-ups, that perfection is not required for growth. Trust is. Belief is. So that doesn't mean that we're going to figure it all out. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to explain how it's going to work. But that doesn't mean just because we can't explain it doesn't mean we don't experience it. Einstein's wife, which is my favorite story, was asked one time if she could explain her husband's theory of relativity. And she said, no, but Albert can, and he can be trusted. (laughs) I know my husband. Can I explain how faith in God's love works? No, I don't know how it works. But I only, it does work, and it'll work for you if right now you lean in and believe. Could we pray? Gracious God, we thank you that you get us so well, inside out, that you get us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you get us, that you know what it feels to be on this end of life. And that not only do you get us and understand, but that you come to get us and not leave us where we are. Just like you did for Eddie. I'm praying for somebody here who's checking us out today and have been surprised at what they're hearing and what they're feeling and and that it's not simply a, a man's voice speaking. Something else is happening. And so I want to pray for them right now that they will say yes to you. Lord, if you get me and you came to get me, then could you let me know that you've got me? (laughs) If that's you, then here's a prayer. You could join me in praying. Lord Jesus, thank you that you get me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that on the cross and rising from the dead, you did everything I needed for you to have me. And I'm opening my heart. I receive your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit and now help me as I learn to follow you. I trust you as my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, our heads are still bowed just for a moment longer. But if you prayed that prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hands wherever you're seated? If you're joining us online today, would you just chat in, enter into the chat? I just prayed with Bill, and I'd like for you to pray with me too. Thank you. Here in the center, over to my left against the wall, all the, all the way to the right against the wall, God bless you. To the back of the room, amen. We're all praying for these, right? Lord, for every person who by raised hand is signifying an open and hungry heart that is trusting you, we pray right now that you would grant them the joy of salvation and the peace that passes human understanding. In your name we pray, amen.